Well, this morning I have uh, the message. Really uh, thankful to uh, uh, Linda and uh, Charles Stromer uh, for our topic today. Um, uh, when we when we split up some of these services for for preaching between the elders, um, uh, I had the Thanksgiving service, and I thought, well, maybe I'll talk on Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, t- Thanksgiving theme, and in a way, we we kind of are talking about worship, but. Um, I was having lunch with Charles, and uh, he, he had mentioned, you know, kind of nudging me a little bit. Hey, you know, Linda and I really, we, you know, we've always kind of wanted to hear you talk about worship. And, you know, uh, I thought about that more and more, and I was like, well, you know what? I do, I do know a little bit about that. I may not know much about Thanksgiving or the Old Testament or this. I may not be a, uh, a New Testament scholar, but uh, I, I can talk a little bit about worship. Um, my background, if you don't know, I, I went to Johnson University, it was Johnson Bible College. I uh, got my bachelor's in music and worship ministry and uh, biblical studies. And so um, uh, I took, read, read some books, read some books on it and, and things like that. So I was like, well, well, that'll be a little more of a softball than uh, me trying to uh, try to be a theologian up here. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about worship. Um, <clears throat> And the work of worship. And so uh, this morning I want to start with a word you may be familiar with. Uh, you may not be. Uh, the word liturgy. And so you might be familiar with what that is. You might not. But really, uh, to, to make it simple, a liturgy um, is uh, really a, our order of service. It's, um, if you break it down, the Greek, into the two words, it's uh, people... And work, and so some have called it the work of the people, or maybe better uh, understood as a public service. And so, uh, really, uh, it's it's. If I had a bulletin, I would, that's that's our liturgy. That's the elements that make it up. That's the liturgy. And so, some throughout church history have said, "Well, I'm not. We're not liturgical." And, and when we say that, we often mean high church. Which, if you've never heard that term, think. The Catholics or Anglicans, some people that use a service book. Uh, they have an order, uh, a very structured order of service, and they use that year to year. And, um, uh, and they've used that for um, as long as they've been written. They've, they've stuck to that. Um, so normally when we think of a liturgical church or a liturgical service or liturgies, we can often think of high church versus low church. And uh, really, I like to contend that every church has a liturgy. Every church has a service. Every church that meets and, and sings and has elements has a liturgy. Um, so we would often say in school, you know, uh, if you go to any church that would say, well, we're not really, you know, we don't really have, we don't have a liturgy. We don't really do that kind of thing. We kind of just free will it. And it's, well, let me see your service for a month and I'll tell you what your liturgy is. Because every, every, it's just the order of service. It's those elements that make up that, that service. Um, and so one, another misconception maybe about worship when we talk about worship in the church is um, normally say, oh, I love the worship today. You know, right? you, you hear that or um, uh, they, people normally mean the music. And so just to broaden our definition of worship this morning for what we're going to be talking about, it's more than just the songs that we sing. And, and we're familiar here at Evergreen with uh, other liturgical elements. We have-
sin, uh, assurance of pardon, confessions of faith that we read together. We've had, we'll have responsive readings that, we'll, that we do, and we'll have some of those today as well. All of those are a part of the worship of God. Um, the reading of his word, the preaching of his word, prayer, all of those things make up the worship of God. So just to kind of broaden our term of, of what we're going to talk about today, when I talk about worship and we talk about liturgy, broadly speaking, we're talking about all the elements that go into, um, go into worship, the worship of God. Uh, I like, again, I have to thank Charles Stromer for this uh, quote and, and, uh, and helped with the title of the sermon as well. But uh, the Reverend John Peck, he used to call um, what we're doing, doing the work of worship. So again, liturgy is the work of the people. I like that. John, uh, John Peck calls it doing the work of worship. And that's what we're going to talk about today, our liturgy, doing the work of worship. So not only does every church have a liturgy, every church has a service, every church has elements that make up their service, I'd like to contend that every person, every one of us, has a liturgy. Um, we're all liturgical people. And so, what do you mean? Well, just take the same as I did the example of taking a church's services over a, a month or a year and, and being able to map out those individual elements. Well, look at your own life. Look at your own routines. Look at your own day-to-day experiences. What are those things that make up your day? You wake up in the morning. Do you make your bed? Maybe you don't. You brush your teeth. You get ready for work. Maybe you work. Maybe you work in the evenings or taking kids to school. Uh, you spend an hour or two or three on, on Facebook or TikTok or whatever it is, YouTube, whatever you are, uh, you, you're binging Netflix. All of those things make up our day-to-day liturgy. It's our routine. Um, and so uh, I'd like to contend that we're all liturgical people. We're all involved in, in a, a, a daily liturgy. And to kind of focus in on that a little bit more, uh, a book, great book I read in school by Harold M. Best entitled Unceasing Worship. He's, uh, concerning worship, he says this. We begin with one fundamental fact about worship. At this very moment, and for as long as this world endures, everybody inhabiting it is bowing down and serving something or someone. An artifact a person, an institution, an idea, a spirit, or God through Christ. Everyone is being shaped thereby and is growing up towards some measure of fullness, whether of righteousness or of evil. No one is exempt and no one can wish to be. We are, every one of us, unceasing worshipers and will remain so forever. For eternity is an, infinite, is an infinite extrapolation of one of two conditions. A surrender to the sinfulness of sin unto infinite loss or the commitment of personal righteousness unto infinite gain. This is the central fact of our existence and it drives every other fact. Within it lies the story of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation or final loss, end quote. So today I'd like to talk about our unceasing worship. 
our liturgy, our work of worship. So we are always worshiping something. That's the premise today by which we'll expand things out. We're always worshiping something. So the question becomes, what or who are we worshiping? What do our daily liturgies point to? How are those things transforming us? How can we make God the center of our daily liturgies and be, be more conformed to his image? And to explore these ideas further, we'll turn to our text this morning from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's hear God's holy and inspired word. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you pray with me? O great God in heaven, the holy, holy, holy one. Father, we, by your mercies alone, come before you today. Father, to receive every goodness from you, every kindness from your gentle heart. So this morning... We rely on that great grace that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we thank you in this time, in this season of thanksgiving, this, this uh, um, liturgical season that we have ingrained in our lives and in our country. Um, we thank you for that time and that opportunity to focus our minds on giving you thanks and returning our meager praise back unto you. Um, and so, God, I pray this morning that as we hear from your word, uh, that you would speak to us and you would help us in our daily lives, our daily liturgies, and our work of worship, that it might be directed unto you alone. Uh, for you are good and you are the great and only God. And so, I pray this morning you would speak to us, you would use... Um, my meager efforts, uh, Father, this morning that you'd use uh, me and that you would open our hearts and minds that we might hear from you. And so we thank you, O oh Lord, for your great goodness. For It's by your mercies alone that we can approach you and we can receive from you. So we thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we begin our passage in Romans 12 with Paul's appeal to the Romans. And this uh, chapter 12 starts the beginning, really, of Paul's exhortation to the Romans. He's laid out a lot of things up to this point. And he's going to begin to exhort them, to kind of preach to them, to, to begin to lay some things out uh, to the Romans. So what is Paul's appeal here? His first appeal to the Romans is that they would present themselves as living sacrifices, to engage in the work of worship. But he starts with this, and everything I say after this uh, hinges on this first phrase Paul gives them. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. 
So everything after this hinges on this first point. By the mercies of God. In light of God's mercies and his grace. um, His goodness. His character. By that, by the mercies, you will be living sacrifices. So everything I say after this is going to hinge on that, on God's mercies, his initiation, um, his call. And so um, I don't have this in my notes, but one thing that just I thought of in school, God initiates worship. That's why we have a call to worship. And it's often it, it is and it should be from or derived from Scripture. And it's a call um, not from me to you to worship, though that um, may be part part uh, it may be in tandem and work with God um, in in leading just the nature of it, but really it's from God. God initiates and calls us into worship, and uh, and so I just uh, I just recalled that here. And so we don't we don't call him down or or uh, uh, tell him what to do. He initiates that. He invites us in to that process. And so it is by the mercies of God through the very goodness and grace of our Lord um, that Paul, Paul's appeal is structured and framed. It is through that, it is by and through and in him and his spirit in us that uh, we can even do what Paul's appealing us to do here. And so with that in mind, we look first at the, the appeal to be living sacrifices. And, and a part of being living sacrifices, there's two parts that we can uh, we have here. First, to be a living sacrifice, you have to be alive. You have to be living. Um, we know elsewhere in Scripture we have that same language that we're alive in Christ. We're made new. We're a new creation. We are made new. We live because of Christ's uh, resurrection. And so... Being a, a living sacrifice means we don't have to die because Christ has died for us. But he, not only that, he rose again and gave us new life. So we're made alive in him. The second part of being a living sacrifice is being holy and acceptable to God. And once again, we can't do that. We can't be holy and make ourselves, in and of ourselves, be holy and acceptable to God. Again, it is by his mercies. It is by the mercies of God in Christ alone that we can approach his throne. It's both justification and sanctification working in us. So it is not only Christ's initial work on the cross and his resurrection and the new life that we have in him through faith, but it's also his spirit and working of holiness in our life. So it is through him, again, by the mercies of God that we can be living Sacrifices. So we need to be both living, alive, made alive in Christ, and we also need to work toward uh, being through Christ and through His Spirit in us. So, as we look at being living sacrifices, um, Paul calls this, which is your spiritual worship. He calls this act of being sacrifices your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship. It's doing the work. Of worship, that is our work here. That Paul is appealing us to the work of worship. Your spiritual worship. I like the King James. It says your reasonable service. Again, that idea of service, of liturgy, of the work of the people, of a public service. It is our work 
of spiritual worship, our reasonable service that we are to engage in as living sacrifices to God. And so that is the work that we're called to do, the work of worship. Now we get into the how. How do we do that? And we've alluded to it a little bit already. It is through Christ and through his spirit in us. But how, um, to flesh that out, Paul says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So to do that work, the how, we have to be transformed. Again, we have to be a new creation in Christ. Everything about our life has to change. It's transformation. Um, The word there is to be metamorphosed, which sounds kind of sci-fi to me, but uh, we have to undergo a metamorphosis, a change, a transformation. Everything has to change and come in line with who Christ is. We are a new creation in Christ. So be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. And not just our minds intellectually. I think that means here our whole being, our spirit, our person, our life has to come in line and be renewed in the ways which include how we think, but also how we think frames how we react to things, who we are in our mind and in our heart are who we really are. It's what, and it's what um, the things that come out of our mouths, the things that come forth from us, come from our heart and mind and who we are. And so we need to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. So how do, how do we engage in that work of renewal, of renewing our mind continually? Well, first, by God's work. Again, we point back to his mercies, by the mercies of God. God's work, by his mercies, his spirit in us, his sanctifying work that he continues in us. Not only are we justified and saved from our sin, but he also, we have his spirit indwelling in us and that pushes us out to be able to do the work. And so our work, what part do we play in this? So we're we're justified, we can stand before God um, through Christ as holy and acceptable, and we can be living sacrifices. Otherwise, he wouldn't call us to that work if we couldn't do it. He's called us to do it uh, because he's made a way for us to, to, to engage in that. So how do we engage in that? What's our work in this? Uh, it's seeking and knowing his will, which we'll get to. And Paul says here uh, to discern what is the will of God. So it's seeking him. It's seeking our Lord. It's seeking to know more about him and his will and what he has called us to do. And how do we do that? Well, the primary means is here. He's given us his word. And not only that, but we can come before him when we can pray. And I think that's vastly important as well. But this here, he's given us his very word. And in in our uh, confession in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we're probably familiar with question one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And may I contend that that is the work of worship, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the work we're called to engage in. But question two says this, What rule hath God given to us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify 
and enjoy him. And I think Paul, uh, I think the Westminster divines taking from Paul here in God's word itself, um, I think Paul's pointing to that idea that it is by his word. It's to know the will of God. How do we find out God's will? We get in his word. We come to him in prayer. We seek him through the work of worship. And so the renewal of our mind is us being shaped and formed by him and his word. So we must be in his word to find out his will. So one, uh, I don't know who said this. I, I apologize for not being able to quote them. But if you want to know what the will of God is for your life, open the scriptures, open it up and seek him and uh, do it with like-minded individuals and uh, he will reveal that to you. It's, it's there. And so if you, if you want to know what, what the, we'll get to what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is, what he's called us to do, how he's called us to engage in the work of worship, um, seek him out. And so one thing about the transformation, he actually starts, Paul starts with this, um, the enemy to that transformation. What is it? The conformity to this world. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And so the enemy to that transformation is conformity to this world, to the temporal, to the things that are fading and, and um, disappearing, the things that are fleeting. Again, we think of that quote from Unceasing Worship. What is it that is forming us if not God? What are those things you can think of, you can flip the idea of renewal of, your, on, of the mind on its head uh, or, or reframe it. You can direct it. You can direct that certainly to God. And I think Paul is doing that here, that we ought to be renew, we renew our mind toward heaven and toward God. But you can think about it the other way as well. If, if we're always worshiping, if we're always engaging in that work of worship and directing our praise somewhere, um, that is also going to renew your mind for better or worse. Whatever you're engaged in, whatever the thing that truly captivates your heart, that is the thing that is going to renew your mind. It's going to renew it in a wrong direction, but it's going to be forming you. It's going to be transforming you. You're going to be uh, changing one way or another because we're always engaged in the work of worship and we will always be engaged in that work. And if that worship isn't directed upward to God... It's to other people or institutions or ideas or our own selves, our own pride in ourselves and and, and trying to make it ourselves. Then that is going to be the central principle that transforms us in the wrong direction. So that is the enemy to our transformation in Christ is conformity to this world and its ideas and our own understanding and not seeking his will and his, the, the heavenly understanding, the godly understanding, his will and his way. <clears throat> uh, I have not read this book. I had to Google the phrase to, to see who uh, coined it. And uh, G.K. Beale wrote a book called We Become What We Worship. And again, it's that same idea of being transformed. It's not maybe better to say how Paul says it, to conform. If we're conforming to the idols of our lives... We become more like those things. So if we're focused in on who God is and seeking his character and who he is and who, what 
his goodness and his grace and the person of knowing the person of Christ intimately, that is going to begin to transform us more into the likeness of Christ, more and more toward holiness. But if we're seeking out those things elsewhere, we're going to begin to conform to those things. So we become what we worship. And we were always worshiping. So as we engage in that work of worship, let's make sure that work is directed to the only God of heaven, Yahweh. So we've looked at the work. We looked at how we ought to engage in it. Now we look at the result. What's the results that that we will seek to find through this work uh, and we've alluded to it already, it's, the, it's God's will. His good, acceptable, and perfect will to seek him out in his word. The good, the naturally good things. And I think God has instilled those things in us, though we may poorly direct our understanding of it. Things like justice, kindness, humility. I think uh, back to uh, when I was in school, uh, through grade school, we had a, a program in guidance called... Uh, character counts, and we have these pillars of uh, of character, trustworthiness, uh, citizenship, all these things that um, we're supposed to. It's kind of funny that that we have a class on guidance. It's supposed to guide us. It's supposed to uh, point us in a direction. So those things, you know, we know those things to be good, and we can wrongly uh, we can wrongly seek justice. We can be um, overly humble where. To the point where we're not really humble anymore, we can be we can show kindness in ways that are actually harmful. Um, but we those things are naturally good things in and of themselves. God has made those things; he, he, they reflect His character, and, and He perfectly exudes those things from His person. So there's good, the good, the acceptable, simply those things that are pleasing to God, those things that we find in His Word that He has prescribed to us, those things that are acceptable to Him, those sacrifices that He accepts. And that have a, a, a pleasant aroma to him. And the things that are perfect, his perfect will. In that nothing can be added to it. There's nothing we can do, no idea, no scheme. Hey, God, uh, here's my two cents on this issue. I think really you've missed the mark on, uh, on how we ought to deal with it. Uh, nothing can be added to it. So we, we know that uh, as we seek in his word, uh, to seek to know the will of God, the person, the character of God, that we might emulate it more and more. Um, we um, see that it is good, it is acceptable to him, it is those things he's prescribed to us, and it is perfect. There's nothing we can add to it. <clears throat> so how do we know his will? And again, we've talked about it a little bit, but Paul says, by testing it. King James says, through proving it. I'd say, experiencing it. By, through experience, through working it out, working out our faith. Again, doing the work of worship. Engaging in the work of worship. And so, again, we're always worshiping something. And so we ought to, um, as Christians, as uh, those who are Christ-like, as little Christs, those who uh, desire to live as our Savior did through His Spirit in us, we ought to live in conformity to His will in all of our life. Again, when we begin to do that, we begin to become what we worship. And so if that worship's directed upward to him, we become more and more like him. We become more uh, just, more kind, more humble, um, more loving, both to our God and to neighbor. 
And so we must submit to that, surrender ourselves to that through testing, through experiencing it in our daily life, through putting it uh, to the test, what we find in his word. Um, Not questioning it necessarily, but testing is in boots to the ground. Um, And so the psalmist, the man after God's own heart, David, he desired to know the will of God. He writes this in Psalm 40, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And even in the midst of his own sinfulness, David again writes in Psalm 51, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so I think in these two songs of David, in these psalms and these prayers toward God, uh, reveals that same idea. David delighted to do the will of God. And how so, he says, by because your law is within my heart. It gave him joy to know God through his word. His, also through David's sacrifice of a broken spirit. By submissiveness to the God of heaven. A broken and contrite heart our Lord will not despise. And so we ought to seek him in his word and we ought to surrender ourselves to his transforming power. And we can do that again. We point back. How do we do all this? It is by the mercies of God. For unlike David, who was sinful and and did acknowledge his sin, we have a sinless savior who delighted to do the will of God. Not my will, but your will be done as he said in prayer to his father. We have Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was broken for us, who died so that we might, and rose again, that we might be living sacrifices, that we might be God's children. He might call us his own, and he has redeemed us. So how do we engage in the work of worship? How do we present ourselves as living sacrifices? How can we be conformed to the image of Christ? How can we know the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? It is only by the mercies of God, who is his justifying and sanctifying work in us. Him as the Father, and through the Son, and through his Spirit in us. It is by him alone that we can approach so great a throne If we are to engage in the work of worship, we must approach the work with humility and thanksgiving for the goodness of God. I close with this quote from Matthew Henry's commentary. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, that our souls are held in life. And the greatest mercy of all is that Christ's hath made not his body only, but his soul an offering for sin, that he gave himself for us and gives himself to us. 
Now surely we cannot but be studying what we shall render to the Lord for all of this. And what shall we render? Let us render ourselves as an acknowledgement of all these favors. All we are, all we have, all we can do. And after all, it is but very poor returns for very rich receivings. And yet, because it is what we have. So let us engage in the work of worship and life's ongoing liturgy to the giver of every grace, to the one who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up as a sacrifice for our sins, that we might live in the newness of life. Let us engage, church, in the work of worship. Thanks be to God. Amen.